0: and see how our guests and direction can inspire you to self-empowerment through a wellness lifestyle. Now, here is the host of the Wellness Lounge a step further, Desiree Watson.
1: Good morning. Well, I should say hello. I think I uh, did that before, and we have uh, listeners from actually all over the world, so uh, it could be morning or evening, but uh, I am just thankful uh, wherever you are, uh, Japan, Denmark, uh, UK, United States, uh, Canada, wherever you all are, I am so grateful to have you on uh, uh, listening uh, today. We have a very interesting uh, show. Uh, this, of course, is uh, Wellness Interactive and A Step Further Uh one of the reasons why it is a step further is because I believe and we believe that uh, when uh, our lives uh, co- consist of so much that is happening on a day-to-day basis that uh, we should connect our mind, our body, our spirit. And how we do that is to take it a step further beyond uh, what uh, we may be experiencing on a day-to-day basis. We try very hard to take it a step further. So today, we're going to have a very interesting guest. Uh, once again, we're going to have uh, Dr. Pride Boone. And uh, as you may or may not know, she uh, was our guest um, uh, a couple of months back. And we're always excited to have Dr. Pride Boone because uh, she really does help us to take it a step further, and on all levels. She is uh, a pediatrician and a family therapist, Uh, but more importantly, she connects the mind-body-spirit. She's a Harvard grad, Uh, you know, she's just an amazing, amazing person only because of the fact that She understands not only her family and herself, but she understands us all. But on that note, uh, I would like to read a a passage, once again, from a book uh, that um, was written uh, a few years ago, and it's called Major Problems in American Constitutional History. And we're focused on that uh, today because of the Trayvon Martin case. Now, uh, just keep in mind, uh, we are focused on everything, every uh, entity that uh, would allow us to take it a step further. So one of the reasons why I'm reading this passage right now is because, uh, well, and, and I'll be reading a couple of past passages, but I definitely just want to read this because it starts with our the Constitution of the Confederate States of America. And, you know, I am I begin with this because, uh, you know, we're always grounded in faith, or we always like to feel that we're grounded in faith. And uh, if we're not, maybe it will be helpful uh, to understand where we should at least begin the dialogue to take it a step further. So it says, we the people of the Confederate states, each state acting in its sovereign and independent character in order to form a permanent federal government, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our, excuse me, our posterity invoking the favor and guidance of almighty God do ordain and establish this constitution for the Confederate States of America. Now, on that note, I'd love to bring Dr. Pride Boone in to speak with us all, uh, or engage us on taking this a step further as it pertains to the Trayvon Martin case, but also as it pertains to our everyday living and in addressing family children, and even women at this point. So uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Dr. Pride Boom.
2: Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure, and I appreciate an opportunity to take us further. Um, we face some very tough issues in our nation and in the world, and, and it's always good to have someone who's willing to move us in a positive direction and not in a negative one.
1: Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I. um Geez, there's so much to discuss because I think, uh, we are all, uh, uh, at times, uh, uh confronted with issues that, um, stops us in our track and uh, our tracks. And, and one of them, of course, being the race issue. But I love the idea of, uh, having a perspective, which is yours, uh, a perspective on, uh, really integrating uh, so much that allow us to be who we are and uh, really defining that whole race factor. And so uh, what does that actually mean to you? And, and, and can we move a little further uh, away from the idea that we're all just so interconnected with the word race? What's your perspective on that?
2: Well, um, scientifically, there's no such thing as race, and the science has been around since the 40s and continues to be substantiated. Data continues to show that we are genetically the same. Um, We use race maybe as a social construct to kind of look at color and hair and features and classify, Mm. Um, but genetically, scientifically, we're human. Um, I I love the stories of Thomas Jefferson and his family when they found out how... um, Let's say black they were that those mm-hmm. family members who thought they were caucasian were in fact equally um, genetically looking as if those who had been labeled black in the Thomas Jefferson families you know he his relationship with his slave had 13 children and then their children. Um, wow they actually look identical genetically so we use um, again color, race, hair textures to create classes of people unfortunately and to kind of Um, create in those classes certain rights and privileges. I think what Thurgood Marshall there is speaking to is is a God-inspired document that really looks at people the way we are genetically. He made us all one and yet we live in a society that chooses to segregate and um, give less rights to or more privilege to. Some people would call that white privilege Um, and I think if we move toward a more guard inspired, a more Thurgood Marshall world, and we're a long way from that, as you know, the Trayvon Martin case, I think is the blessing and as sad and as painful it is for us to experience it. It reminds us how much work we have left to do, and so you know as we move toward the reality that we are genetically and spiritually the same, it's going to take a lot of work so
1: right, have- you know what's interesting about that though so, um uh it it's awesome and that uh, <laughs> and i use all these words because I, I love the fact that you know we have young people that are always listening so it's awesome it's amazing but it 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 really uh the, the approach is that you have so many people that may not be receptive to that at all and there are people that are working constantly to move from that as opposed to moving forward with uh what you just spoke about, you know, uh, science, and there really is no race. We have that word, but it's used so often socially to define us.
2: Yes, but there is also biology about group dynamics. So as children from four to six, we begin to identify with groups, and that is not um, necessarily taught in a home. That is something that just evolves with children. Um, There are experiments where you will take 20 identical-looking children, for the most part, hair color, color of skin, hair, and put 10 of them in a blue shirt and one in a red shirt, and they'll begin to discriminate against the blues and the reds. There is this internal drive to kind of group dynamics. Not sure why that's there. There may be some protective value at some level, but as we move toward adulthood, it's to look, to learn, to move beyond the group dynamics and to look at us as a whole, and that takes education and experience, and you've got to have parents that are open. You know, I really, I think there's someone recently has talked about race needs, as misnomer as it is, we, we all need a class in it. We, it needs to be part of our elementary school education as we move toward group identity, looking toward identity as Americans, as opposed to this.
1: Right. Oh, I love that idea. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Yes. Uh, just a federal mandate. <laughs> so no, uh it should be in our daycares. school systems for sure
2: four year old daycares nurseries we we need to
1: talk about races if we don't talk about it. we will continue to have these painful um, right oils and you know in this uh i i am recalling an incident that actually happened with um uh my daughter when she was uh a lot younger, and I think I actually spoke to you about this, and uh, even then so many years ago uh twenty 20 years ago we were having these discussions about uh uh where our children are and what we should do in uh our homes homes my my daughter was so uh you know thrilled about always uh, we lived in New York at the time was very thrilled about uh our garage attendant and embracing with him and you know whenever she would see Michael she would say hi and you know we would get in uh, he would allow her to Get in the car and you know all, all these great things uh, with the steering wheel, all of that uh, in the garage, of course. But one day she came home and uh, she did not want Michael to open the door for us. And I looked at her and I said, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" And this I picked her up from nursery school, picked her up from nursery school. What is going on? I I said, you know, this is Michael. She did not want him to open the door. And so I asked her what the issue was, her problem. She said well, you know, Mom, I'm afraid. And I said, oh, my God, afraid. Now, mind you, she's uh, three and a half, four years old. Uh, I said, you're afraid of Michael? But you know Michael. She said, no, Mommy, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Uh, Found out later, uh, because I had to really uh, think about where this was coming from, went to the nursery school. But not only that, I was also looking at uh, what was happening in the newspapers and of course this at the time it uh, the central park uh, case that was happening with our young black men which of course they were eventually exonerated from that but this this was a very tough thing for me but not, not only me but her because she was looking at young black men being just plastered all over the place uh, uh, aggressively and horribly, you know. And then I go to the nursery uh, school and I find out that the parents are absolutely wonderful. They're beautiful parents because I'm speaking with the teachers, I'm telling them what happened because I know her her little friend or her girlfriend that she's playing with, she says, you should speak to the parents because the parents are wonderful. But I found out that they had a nanny. That uh, was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, perpetuating this, you know, need to uh, uh, have fear uh, with this little girl. And the little girl later uh, would talk to my daughter about it, and that's where where it came from. Because my daughter would say, well, she said she, she just doesn't like black people and, you know, all these things. At four years old, Dr. Pride Boone, at four years old. So I'm thinking... It, is it uh, what we're uh, teaching them or what we're not teaching them? Because I hear a lot of parents say, well, I never taught my child this. I, you know, how does that happen? But you're not teaching them not to do certain things, too.
2: Right, right. And knowing that there's this innate ability to identify in groups every opportunity to talk about that as a teaching moment to look at all of us as individuals as opposed to groups and then believing the media or the hype or the stereotype or the culture that speaks to one group, this created race of people that doesn't truly exist as men sin and and fearful and scary. I'd, I'd like to read from um, Eugene Robinson. He's a wonderful syndicate. Oh, I love writer, Eugene I Robinson. And he had an article on Wednesday, the 17th, Prejudice is Too Much for Trayvon. It's a little bit long, but I think it speaks to fear and the fear of African Americans, which I think which is the center of this uh, stand-your-ground mm-hmm. self-defense claim that mm-hmm. allowed um, Zimmerman, uh, again, to be exonerated. He says, the assumption underlying the initial whole hum approach of police and prosecutors that Zimmerman had the right to self-defense because Martin, young, male, black, did not. Um, I remember the case. They didn't look for witnesses. They didn't look for any proof of identity. They just took his word, and within a couple of hours, he was released based on the stand-your-ground um, law, which you know people will say was not brought in, but you'll listen to B-37, the, one of the jurors, talk mm-hmm. about stand Your Ground. And um, they never looked for his parents. And he was in the morgue, as you know, for a week. They never looked for where he might come from. Mm-hmm. They, they obviously handled him as if he weren't quite a 70 year old teenager with rights to defend himself, possibly, mm-hmm. as well as he might have a family. He might actually be a person who was loved and cared for because no one even bothered to try to contact his family or look for witnesses. All of this happened, as you know, mm-hmm. after a month of outcry from the country. And he said, if anyone wonders why African Americans feel so passionately about this case, it's because we know that our 17-year-old sons are boys, not men. It's because Mm -hmm. we know their adolescent bruvara is just that, an imitation of manhood, not the real thing. We know how frightened our sons would be walking home alone on a rainy night and realizing that they're being followed. We know how torn they would be between a a child's fear and a child's immature idea of manly behavior. We know how they would struggle to decide the right course of action: should I run or should I fight? The flight or, or fight biological response. The conversation we need to have is about how black men, even black boys, are denied the right to be young, to make mistakes, to be vulnerable.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
2: it speaks to you know the fear that your your child's playmate's housekeeper is in instilling this belief that somehow teenage black youth are not youth and they're not human. There's some other class, there's this other race that is denied rights and privileges under the Constitution. So we have this perfect Constitution that I think is God-inspired that needs, as you're doing, to move us forward, but we live in a less than perfect world. And I really applaud our President for speaking about that on Friday that we need to talk about race, that if we don't talk about it, it's just a boil and a fester and a sore that continues to bubble
1: up from time to time. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about it and speak about it, but and to be honest about this. I really think it's important to speak about it uh, in the context that's uh, represented uh, with everything that uh, uh, is part of our, our life, our culture, or socially, everything. Uh, it's it's uh, to your point where uh, you bring in the science, uh, about uh race we we need to address the education about race right. you know we need to also i, I think uh, address um uh just culturally in these united states things are so Different, absolutely different. I mean, we have laws on on the books that have been there for hundreds of years that need to be changed. You know, uh, so let's speak about uh, culturally and about uh, stand your ground. Now, what's the, what I find um, uh, interesting, or uh, what I'd love to engage and speak about at times is that, uh, uh, you know, I I have. Uh, my friends are so diverse and we my my children you know every their friends are diverse it's just something we live with we love it it's great it's fine uh but you know i have friends that are from europe and i had a conversation with one of uh, my girlfriends and uh I you know we engage with the idea that And it shouldn't be an idea, but it's happening. That it's happening here, where you know, a Caucasian man can be uh, encouraged. All he needs is one person, one person, and I'm generalizing, so please, everybody, bear with me. Uh, One person to define him as great and wonderful, and that it's okay. And the African American male needs one caucasian male or person to tell him or to tell anybody that he's not great or that he's not wonderful or that okay you're wearing a hoodie you look dangerous so that's the scary part in our society because you've got one group uh generalizing of course you may have one group in our country that uh, uh is perpetuating this I'm great I'm wonderful and, and then on the other end, you've got maybe perhaps the same group perpetuating the idea that, uh, no, uh, you're not great, you're not wonderful, and I'll let everybody know that. And then you end up, unfortunately, with a Trayvon Martin, because I definitely agree with uh, Eugene Robinson that, uh, uh, where was his right? I have 30 nephews, and it's kind of scary, because all my nephews reacted differently. They're all amazing uh, citizens. They're wonderful. They reacted differently with uh, some of the same thoughts, but different thoughts. And on that note, we'll come back and we hope to engage Dr. Pride Boone with more conversation about uh, a step further, taking this all a step further in that, uh, yes, the, the science of it all is that uh, we are all the same and There really is no race factor. It's something we created, and it's unfortunate, but we'll get more information from Dr. Pai when we return. Thank you.
0: This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family caregivers unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Thanks again for joining us uh, and speaking with Dr. Pride Boone, uh, our uh, amazing family therapist, but also... She is a pediatrician and Harvard grad. Uh, Dr. Pride Boone, we were just speaking about uh, our, our young men. Young men, uh, African American young men, but I was also speaking about. Uh, uh, Caucasian young men and uh, uh, defining who they are. And, you know, maybe perhaps there's one group that uh, can define both young men. I, I shouldn't say uh, can in our eyes as women or as families, but in society, uh, they can define uh, who these young men are. Uh, Caucasian or African American because all, uh, maybe perhaps a Caucasian, uh, young man just needs to be confirmed that he's okay. And so I uh, really brought that up because when you look at, uh, uh George Zimmerman, I'm really looking also through his eyes. I try to. I'm an African American woman, but I still try to look through his eyes, uh, because I think that's important. And I, I don't know that everyone is looking through the, uh, young African American, uh, Trayvon Martin's eyes, but, uh, I like to do that. And that when I look at George Zimmerman, I also look at his family, his parents. You know, it's, I think it's his uh, father was a retired judge. His mom was, uh, from Peru. And I think socially, Coming from other countries, we can sometimes, uh, perceive this whole platform of race, uh, to be, uh, something that may possibly, uh, be okay, you know, defining oneself or family as, uh, oh, I'm, I'm Caucasian and everything is okay. With me, and I'm simplifying this because we've got so many people out there to, of course, discuss it uh, in, in a whole another way. But I need to simplify it as much as possible for our young people because uh, uh, George Zimmerman, I, I I don't know that uh, he ever or will understand that he too can be considered part of that minority. Uh, where you can be oppressed at times, sir. But I don't know. Dr. Pride Boone, you can speak to that. I'm just saying you know, socially, all over the country and outside of the country, we perceive this race factor to be so different, the same as with Bill Cosby's son who was shot dead out in L.A. Yes,
2: yeah, I um, I hear a number of things in what you're discussing. I think certainly my experience with people from South America is that there is a two-caste system, race and, and wealth, Play a role in their countries, and those who are more likely to look like they're from Spain appear to have more rights and privileges. The way um, of European descent in our country are, and in most sociologists will refer to that as white privilege, that their skin color will uh, will allow them more rights and privileges than than being the other, which, which Zimmerman, as you so well point out, would in many systems would become part of the other and not necessarily have the white privilege, but clearly the jurors sided with him. I think one of the reasons we have this this school-to-prison system that is leading so many African Americans into a lifelong interaction with the prison and penal system is um, this same privilege and non-privilege. And so, you know, so many, just think of so many poor African-American children who I see every day in my practices. I, I, I practice both in a wealthy community and in a poor community. And, and we know that, for instance, marijuana usage is equal amongst my kids, if not born in the privileged areas and the non-privileged. But my children seen in the poor practice are going to go to jail four times as often. They're going to spend more time in jail and they're more likely to stay connected to the system and not just seen as a one-time mistake as a child. Their, their records are not sealed. Their continually employment is going to be affected. So you get this vicious cycle of this legal system, though a perfect constitution, we've got these other laws, that in, continue to incarcerate young black men unfortunately at a very high rate which sets them up for poor employment which sets them up for poverty so how do you sustain a family when you can't get a job based on something you did when you were 17. so you know clearly our, our children don't have the, the Zimmerman had a million dollar defense fund our kids don't have that we had the prosecution which i didn't think did a great job so often we have jurors who see us as non-white or white and then you have a system that doesn't have the funds to protect you. If anything, you have less funding with the, the budget cuts that are happening now. The poor are even less represented. Well, so.
1: But let me ask you a question. And, and uh, on that note, because you just brought up something about the prosecution, uh, you know, I, they, they probably did the best they can. And I say that, but and we obviously know that uh, the jurors came back with. The verdict, and and we have to live with that, and we understand that. So my thinking is that the prosecution, they're also representing that community socially. And so uh, to me, it's about education. So I look at what they presented, and I thought, wow, there are so many things that uh, maybe you, you, me, anyone could have inflicted with their case. But I still thought they did the best they can, they Uh, they could, but it's really difficult being in different parts of this country and not having the same, uh, uh, I don't know, educational platform, social platform, all of this. And I, I could see that same case being tried here, which there would be a different outcome.
2: Yes, exactly. And I think for them not to have educated that juror to allow them that million dollar defense to build Zimmerman as this wonderful person that is you, and that's them. Remember how the treatment of Gentel, the, the 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 young lady that was murdered, oh, yeah. yeah. not have groomed her for what to expect, for for them not to have humanized right on, for them not to talk about Sanford as the birthplace of Jackie Robinson's first experience with segregation. It was they exactly. to move him from Sanford because of the terrible history of segregation in that town. Those <laughs> prosecutors came from that same police department, that area, which didn't even bother to investigate what happened to Trayvon and to not have educated that jury to this two-tier system of culture and legal and education, to not have humanized Gentile to make her the enemy. So
1: right but church. because my point is that that i mean you i definitely um I, I get and understand what you're saying and i think the listeners do too but when we speak about culture and and social issues as it relates to the state or the community why is it that uh no one, uh, really addresses that because, uh, you know, clearly we, we are, uh, being raised, um, as though, sometimes I believe I'm going, are we in the same United States of America? <laughs> where, how is it that, uh, you can have a different outcome, uh, so drastically different in another state? Now, I, I the, the obvious is that, of course, the states are governed by basically state, uh, you know, politicians and government. But how can we, to your point about race and having it in the schools and maybe a mandate for education? And how we can it's, we it's help? Testing,
2: so we all know we're the same genetically. We're just being taught, or the the our concept of group at age four and six is being exploited to turn us against each other to create these.
1: Yes. Okay. Exactly, exactly. That a, that a so if you're a prosecutor prosecuting the Trayvon Martin case, I mean, clearly uh, they they did uh, the best they could, and I think they did represent the family well. That's just my point. But it, it, doing the best they can with a case like this where a young teen, African-American teen at 17, can be gunned down uh, – so uh, just uh, i I get a little passionate about it because I'm thinking what is it that the prosecutors share uh that the jurors share they have to share something together a common ground where uh when you're being raised or when you're um and 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 I don't mean this uh as far as the prosecutors uh being uh, This is not a negative for, for them. They, as I said, they did the best they could. But to me, there has to be some common ground culturally or socially that they shared because they came from the same area. You know, they they come from Florida. And so this stands your ground. Maybe this isn't a case, uh, a Trayvon Martin case. Uh, at some point, uh, maybe it could not have been tried in Florida. And obviously, I know that was impossible. You have to try a case in Florida if it's, it's done. But I'm just saying. How is it that it could be so different, Dr. fryboon socially and culturally, uh, with a prosecutor representing a teen gunned down and coming back, uh, the jurors coming back with uh, a not guilty verdict? What do they share in common, do you think?
2: Did you were, did you have an opportunity to hear Anderson Cooper's interview of B
1: thirty? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and oh. this is this is why I'm bringing this up because in all honesty, I'm listening to her and I'm thinking, oh my God, and, and I'm not uh, I, I don't want to uh, at, at all demean the verdict in a sense where for me, I'm looking at what we're producing in our society. When I heard heard her speak, I grew up in an integrated. Uh, school system all my life, okay? And when in an African-American community where there was maybe three or four Caucasian kids, I had the opportunity to see what it looked and felt like to be the majority. And then when we were bussed off, I had the opportunity to feel and see what, you know, was all about being the minority. So when I listen to her, I hear and see uh, people I grew up with And, you know, it's to me, it's a travesty at times because the people I grew up with, it's a little step further, just a little bit more, but when I look at her, I look at a product of Florida. I mean, you know, I'm going, is this what we're producing statewide, but is this what we're producing in the United States where people can actually sit on a jury and (laughs) reflect – uh, socially and culturally, uh, you know, who they really are. She may not see it that way, and others may not see it that way, but that's the, the way I see it. It's, uh, we, we can't, uh, really trash her for who she is. Everything she said, I believe, she believes, you know, and, and, hey, in a court of law, this is our law, uh, she felt she didn't have enough, uh, information to, uh, come back with a guilty, Please, but of course, you wanted to write a book too, so.
2: Exactly. So, there again is, I hear many things.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I I have that thing, you know. I want to put out as much as possible because I want to get it as much as possible. But go ahead.
2: You know, culturally, the South versus the North, I'm hearing the stand your ground law, which is, there have been self defense laws on our books since the 17th century that have worked marvelously because they don't give you the right to. Anti-up the violence and stand your ground allows you to take what could be a fistfight to death and a gun. So in a culture, a Sanford South Southern culture where there are no unions, where there is no middle class, for me, very little in the way of mixing of the classes is from my experience in the South, they're very... African Americans tend to be poor. There's a very smaller group of middle class. The middle class in the North is bigger, I think, because of the presence of unions and the access to education. Excellent point. Which Mm -hmm. is very different in the South than the North. And I think they're so segregated in many ways in their culture and their beliefs. I think the prosecution did not do a good job. I Mm -hmm. think the million-dollar defense... They were. They met with. Jean-Tierre.
1: Oh, I think they did a brilliant job. The defense uh, did a brilliant job. But it's the prosecutors, told- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, or I, I'm saying, is that they did the best they could with what with they the had. In and sources. culturally uh, speaking, coming from that environment, I, I don't know that they could have moved any further with, without, you know, I don't know, asking their right. buddies no. if they had any in the Northeast to help them out. <laughs> they themselves
2: may have had to have been resurrected to understand how could a, the police department not do its research and arrest him on the spot when a 17-year-old child is dead with a bottle of Because
1: it's it perpetuated constantly right. anyway. So, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if the prosecutors uh, grew up uh, alongside of people that, so you know, that this, happened to all the time. Right. It's and just... What, uh,
2: what the defense did was bring in African American persons to their table, which is not what the prosecution did. The prosecution should have had mm-hmm. african American representation because they would they missed an opportunity to educate this entire nation exactly that's the point the
1: <laughs> that is of- the point it's right. about. Education on every level, and, and they that missed, they missed they the opportunity missed. to do that. But I'm not so sure if they've and ever they had the expert. opportunity themselves to ever engage on that level, First Dr. Of Prypo. All,
2: it was six jurors, it should have been 12.
1: Exactly. There should, been,
2: there should have been men, and there should have been people of color. And that Exactly. So to allow the jury, they lost the case the minute they let the jury pool go forward. So to not then bring in the race and culture into what was in Zimmerman's mind and the stand-your-ground environment. He's so fearful of this child with a bag of Skittles that he would take his life. To have not humanized Trayvon, to have Mm -hmm. mentioned, tell the enemy. You you drew a B-36. Right, right. And and I have to hats off to
1: Piers Morgan. I I just thought it was great. The interview was great, great. and I love this child. Uh, She she is a child. She's a teen, and I loved uh, uh, her engagement to educate Everyone, really, but, nationally. Did, uh, you know, right. <laughs> I, I'm going, oh, what's the difference between her and uh, the juror, uh, B-37? What's the difference? Is B-37 that she, too, for, educated us.
2: Right. B-37 was a, was a blessing to this country because she showed us the mindset, which is yes. those people, those other. I don't even know what language they were speaking. When that when right. her words and when that defense team said do you speak english the they right. became the others and the others do not deserve the right to self defense the mm-hmm. others have a right to be feared, and they do not have rights on the stands. They do not have rights in a penal system. They can go away for 15 years for smoking a joint because mm-hmm. they are the exactly. others. And when you are four, five, and six, if you don't teach our children that the others are not to be scorned and hated and mistreated, that you may begin to have some group identity, but in actuality, we are really all the same. We may have clusters of color and hair and features, but it doesn't give you the right to discriminate. And we are the same, and we are... And we have the similar values and the similar hopes, and I have to see children every day who hate the color of their skin because mm-hmm. they feel trapped in a system that is going to say, you are other. You don't even speak English. We don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and when I am in a fight with you, I ha- I am in a fight for my life because you are not human. You are capable <coughs> of great violence. And that's how they see. That's how they store Trayvon. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's... Uh, uh Excellent, Dr. Pride Boone. I am uh, uh, hoping that uh, we are engaging uh, our listeners with uh, a step further. Uh, I believe we are, and i 'm hoping that you all are taking uh, uh, this uh, time or this information to take it a step further with dr Pride boone uh, we 're going to break uh, for commercial. And we will return in uh, a minute or two. Okay, stay with us. Thank you.
0: Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. practical actionable leadership insights are the focus of leadership development news hosted each monday at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern by kathy greenberg and relly nadler on the voice america business channel doctors greenberg and nadler who coach global leaders on how to be most effective will share their insights and contacts the path to leadership excellence begins here friend us on facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world voice america empowerment You're tuned in to The Wellness Lounge A Step Further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hello again. This is Desiree Watson. I'm speaking with Dr. Pride Boone, and it is uh, The Wellness Lounge A Step Further. And, uh, you can, of course, uh, tweet at Wellness Inter, uh, hashtag Wellness and, uh, tell us your thoughts or questions. I would like to read, um, from, uh, the, the book again, Major Problems in American Constitutional History. It's by Kermit L. Hall. Uh, I want to just read a passage, uh, uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall. Uh, has written on the, constitution's, uh, on, uh, on the Constitution's Bicentennial commemorating the wrong document. So uh, what it says is, what is striking is the role legal principles have played throughout America, America's history in determining the condition of Negroes, and of course we used that back then. They were enslaved by law, emancipated by law, disenfranchised and segregated by law and finally they have begun to win equality by law. Along the way new constitutional principles have emerged to meet the challenges of a changing society. The progress has been dramatic and it will continue. Your thoughts on that Dr. Pride Boone? I think
2: that was written before the three strikes are out, before you're Absolutely, your your stand your ground law went into 30 states. Mm -hmm. We were progressing. And then that same legal system that allowed for progress turned us back. So if you're profiled because you were raised from kindergarten to believe that African-American youth are violent and menacing and scary and they're not children really, you're profiled, you go to jail, you may spend four times as much time in jail for the same amount of marijuana if you did not have white privilege, and if you go three times, you're in jail for life. So three strikes are out, hurt, and has created this whole new class. Same legal system can be used to move people forward, or it can be used to take people back. In this case, to me, the three strikes are out is creating this whole underclass that can never have meaningful work. And so we are creating a new slavery from school to prison, that has set us backwards. So I think when that was written, it looked really bright, but you're mm-hmm. your ground law is the same. So if we don't have, you're now allowed to take the life of a young person because they scared you. And if they scared you from the time you were four, when he fights back in his right to self-defense, you have a right to now take his life. So unless our laws are changed to, to really move us forward, if we allow laws in, in the case of the NRA supporting this, Stand your this new need to up self defense because the other law was not broken, it was working and it worked really well. But mm-hmm. this now this new laws that we make that actually bring us back, we have to stand and fight against laws that don't yes. move us forward, Absolutely. but move us backwards. And an education system that doesn't speak to the true issues of this country where race, as much as we know, if I DNA test all of us, and, and, and I have to deal with, I see very privileged families. One child will be blue-eyed and blonde, and one will be a toehead. She may be blonde with brown eyes, and that same child who's brown-eyed will feel inferior to her blue-eyed siblings. Exactly. And I have to work through that family so that we learn to celebrate our difference, that we have a media-saturated culture that makes one group appear to be more special or better or right or whatever terms we may use. And that system that creates this disparity creates pain within families of all colors, but particularly Mm -hmm. colors, African-Americans, where there may be many different hues and many different sense of privilege and non-privilege based on color and features and texture of hair. So we have a, a, a generation of families with such potential, but they're in such pain from the legal system, from a social system from a racial construct system and so each of us to me in our daily walk we we work our own souls we work inside of ourselves and look and see okay. do you harbor thoughts are you equally as dangerous as B37 And so for each of us to take that self-inventory every day, am I treating one child different than the other as parents? Mm -hmm. Is one kid's IQ different, so I love this one more? How do we love and protect and give every child, regardless of ability, color, the same rights under the legal system so that one group of kids is not incarcerated for the rest of their lives and the other goes free and the ability to make a huge amount of money and be successful? How do we create a system that is fair, for all children, when I see, I I can see beautiful 17-year-olds who are 140 pounds at 5'4. They think they're horrible. They think they're ugly because I'm fat. You're not fat. They believe the myth of this thin airbrushed child on on Cosmopolitan magazine, and they feel inferior. And there, and we do, and we do have to honor the group possession that we have as humans to group and to categorize. But we also, as adults, have to learn to overcome those. And how do you honor All of us and our differences rather than hate and segregate and discriminate against the differences that we find within people. God had a plan when he made us all different. How do we embrace that every day? How do we fight our own urges to discriminate and to make sure that our laws and our education system bring our children forward? As you do a step further and away from our innate abilities to discriminate and hurt, but to move toward wholeness and representation of all of us and really honoring the child within each of us. And not discriminating right. against
1: that child. Absolutely. So let me ask you then. That, that was so beautiful. It's just oh, I always love engaging with you and um, just uh, taking it a step further. Um, let me ask you how families and, and women. I want to focus on women, of course. The, the men and the dads play a great role in our children's lives. I never want to you know leave them out. But uh, I guess. Um, when I think about women and how we can uh, address so many issues that um, we struggle with uh, uh, when we're, you know, uh, raising our children or, you know, when our children finally become adults, unfortunately, we still, to your point... Uh, we're still engaging with a lot of issues, uh, social issues uh, as adults. But I think uh, that as a woman or women, we have the opportunity to engage our children a step further constantly. It's not something uh, that you do uh, when... I don't know, they're in middle school or when they're four to six, we constantly should engage our our young people because uh, is it not true that, uh, you know, when we, we're all mothers, doesn't matter if uh, biolog- these are biological children or not, but we're all mothers, isn't it a greater opportunity for women to set precedence over all of this uh, and, and and i don't know it's just my thinking i'm throwing that out there would love to hear your response because uh again when i look at uh, uh, juror b37 i i immediately kind of excuse that it was very easy to excuse her because i i thought yeah well who are her parents who's her mother you know uh i just don't know how we stop perpetuating the ills of our, you know, this the race platform without addressing raising the children and and mothers raising uh, our children with uh, a platform that's going to be beneficial to them. And I get that uh, the race uh, factor plays plays a strong role, and at times it's not beneficial for so many of our children, uh, especially young men. But what do we do to take it a step further with women? What can we do in our families? Um, White women, black women, Asian women, it doesn't matter. Women. I think yes. we're. this is where we are now in 2013. Women need to really take control of these social issues. Uh, I remember, um, and I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you, but I remember... Um, a statement being said by a very well-known author in that uh, uh, her feeling or her belief was that, you know, uh, even during slavery, uh, women, Caucasian women, stood by their men while so many people were hurt and enslaved and, and just hung and all these brutal things, and women stood by their men. And so, of course, uh, to the credit Uh, women, there are some very uh, strong and powerful women uh, uh, noted in our history that have moved our society forward. And so maybe, just maybe, a lot of us need to kind of reach back and look at some of these great women, both black and white, who have moved our society forward. Uh, Where do you you, uh, see us playing a stronger role?
2: Well, I think like, as you said, Harriet Beecher Stowe's book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, really was huge. I mean, her writing helped change the face of America, helped move slavery,
1: mm-hmm.
2: as it did. So each of us has a role to play. I guess because I see so many families, I know that. And I think your point about B-37, I she said if I was a mother. So I think she might have been the one who was not a mother of those
1: Six right. Years. Okay, that's so, true. She wasn't a mother. But I think we're all mothers, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: But I think she may not have had to raise children and maybe didn't have to face the issues of race and class that all of us face.
1: Both um, black and thinking. white. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter, right. Mm-hmm. But you
2: gotta be a thinking mother. And so I, I see
1: Yes, women, women, I love that. You've got to be a thinking mother, and I always say, and then I'm going to let you take it us all out, we, you've got to be a thinking mother, but the only thing we owe our children is a great education and to be able to think, help them think, and so you've got to be a thinking mother. I love that. Fine, Thank fine. you.
2: And I'm, I see women of all walks of life who have birthed children without license, and some are just surviving, and white and black. It doesn't matter what culture, what religion they are. They're in it to survive. And or they may be very wealthy and very self-centered. So you can't paint all mothers with one brush. Mm-hmm. Some of those mothers are going to be super thinking and thinking not just about their class or their group or their cluster, but this country and this world.
1: Mm-hmm. But they
2: are rare. You are. are
1: mm-hmm.
2: you, you I wish that everyone was like you.
1: But oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Byte
1: <Brian> Boone, but <laughs> I wish everyone most, were like you. <laughs>
2: most mothers are trying to get through the day. They've got to put them in. they got to get food on the table. Got yeah. To,
1: it's got but you, to you know what's so funny? Time. I don't know that, that the kids, uh, the, the kids uh, are always receptive to it. I know my daughters would say, one of my daughters said, Mom, why, when when I was raising them, or my husband and I were raising them, she said, Mom, why does everything have to be a teaching moment for you? And I said, explain that. She said, see? <laughs> she said, case case in
2: point. So, you know, I'm blessed when, you know, one out of ten families may be a thinking mother. The other nine are surviving. Or there's just mm. not who they are. And, and I think God really makes all kinds. And he has some that think for groups. And, and the, the Harriet Beecher Stowe thought about the nation. And mm-hmm. she took her time and wrote the pains of Uncle Tom's story. Okay. And then there are lots of women who just go, you know, my kids are doing fine. I'm going to leave this alone. I'm going to live with the slavery because this is working for us.
1: Yeah. And so wow. I don't think yeah. you can wow.
2: mothers with one brush. And so I think there are a few who are game changers, and there are many who are not. And you, you honor yourself the game changer, and that's who you wow.
1: are. Wow, wow. So, do, we've been speaking with Dr. Pride Boone, uh, and we, of course, uh, we would love to have you back again. But, uh, Dr. Pride Boone, can you, uh, let people know where they can find you? Uh, because, uh, you have, a, a, a wonderful foundation, uh,
2: Yes, can you talk www, to the, Yes, org. I do family and weight management. So again, I, I see families of all ilks and we manage weight and their relationship to the soul, to the body, to the mind, because I see eating as just a, a form into um thoughts and behaviors within the family and how do they use food to manage stress and emotions and many of the things we talked about today, race, class. Mm-hmm. Uh, education, all the systems that impact a family, and often mm-hmm. food becomes a way to, to, to manage distress related to the systems that families operate in.
1: Oh, great. Uh, I want to thank you year. so much for joining us uh, once again, Dr. Pride Boone. We've been uh, speaking about the Trayvon Martin case, and uh, we hope uh, we have connected you with the whole mind-body spirit of uh, just taking it a step further and uh, joining me uh, today is, uh, is Dr. Pride Boone. And we'd love for you to come back and speak to us again about uh, this amazing platform on education, faith, uh, mind, body, spirit. And uh, we look forward to you all signing on next Monday. Take care. And this is Wellness Interactive a step further. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, And I look forward to being here next week. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us this week for The Wellness Lounge, a step further. Please tune in next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another great show featuring your host, Desiree Watson. We'll continue to show you how to incorporate a wellness lifestyle and live a better life.